Hey, it's John, a cut above horror review episode number 54 from 2001. We're talking about session nine. Very interesting conversation. Huge thank you for the fourth time joining us as special guest, Nicole from the Light and Shadow Horror Podcast. So kick back, relax, enjoy episode 54 of a cut above horror review. And a huge thank you to everybody for all the support for the one-year anniversary last week. And thank you to everybody that's rated and reviewed us on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcast. So here we go. Session 9 starts now. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all, all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we will be discussing the film Session 9 from 2001. But first, let's meet everybody else on the show. I'm pleased to welcome a special guest returning with us for the fourth time. It's our friend, Nicole. How are you doing, Nicole? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again, guys. I'm super stoked to be the leader in number of appearances, and also to talk about this film that I love. Awesome. We're so excited to have you. But yeah, you are edging out Bob now as the yeah. most frequent guest host on the show. So yeah, the competition Yay. is officially on. <laughs> Nicole's like plotting against Rob anytime he's supposed to come on. Oh, Rob has a flat tire. It's the weirdest thing. He's stuck. Oh, yeah. Rob said he couldn't make it, but he asked me to show up for him instead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, we're very glad to have Nicole back. I can't wait Absolutely. for the discussion tonight. Can't wait to hear what you think about this movie. And next up, we've got Hyderberg. What's going on, Hyderberg? What's going on, guys? I'm just sitting here in the asylum waiting for you guys to podcast. <laughs> Spooky here. So Hyderberg's background is the cover art from Session 9. And it, <laughs> so it looks like he's sitting like in this that decrepit wheelchair. <laughs> so, Yep. <laughs> And last but not least, we got John. What's going on, John? Hello, Jacqueline. Hello, Hydraberg and Nicole. Four timer. Oh my goodness. Uh, would you like to plug uh, your your podcast? Absolutely. So um, I have a podcast called Light and Shadow, a horror podcast, and um, it is monthly ish, I would say. And uh, I usually I don't do reviews, so it's a little different. Um, my podcast is a little bit more, uh, in the style of lore where I sort of like pick a, a topic or, um, you know, something that's like popular in culture or like it's a, you know, particular subgenre. And I'll talk a little bit about how that's been in history and in culture. And then I talk about the movies that, you know, fall under that topic. So, um, if you like horror review and you like lore, then my podcast kind of falls into that, uh, particular niche. So, uh, light and shadow Instagram, Facebook, you can find me on all of the common podcatchers. Right. And, and the one thing I want to say is that, uh, you gave us a wonderful, um, I guess, positive, uh, review of our one year anniversary, but, um, our fearless leader, Jacqueline has been on your show and you guys did women of horror month. And that was fantastic. It was. Thank you. We had a great time doing that. And, um, Jacqueline was just a fantastic co-host and I will definitely uh, have her on again at some point, but women in horror is something that is very important to me because when I was growing up, 
Um, I didn't know necessarily that there were other girls who were into horror or that made horror. And so when I started to discover these folks in my 20s, I was just really inspired by this little niche community. So always happy to meet other awesome ladies in horror and uh, and to talk about the other women who are making it happen. Yeah, that was, honestly, being on that episode was one of the most fun times I ever had. It was so much fun. And you had like a notebook of notes. I was just like, going to say. <laughs> I, had, I had literally like 17 or 18 pages of notes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. She showed up and I was like, I might just be able to hand the show over to her. I don't know <laughs> if I was, need to say anything. She was prepping for that episode weeks ahead of time. Yeah. I was. Well, because I was so afraid of like sounding dumb or like not like Never. forget or like forgetting what I wanted to talk. So I was just like, I need to write everything down. Every everything. So. It was great. And those episodes <laughs> where I have guests on are always a lot longer because my episodes are typically 30 to 45 minutes, a little shorter. But when I do these special episodes with guests, we usually talk like hour and a half ish. And so it's really it's really great to do something a little more long form and just have somebody else contribute to the conversation. I definitely helped push it into like overly long, a cut above style length. <laughs> I think we were close to two hours, actually. Well, yeah. Well, it, well, the reason why we have her as the host is she keeps us dumbasses in line, but she is like the best host ever. So, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, no, no, no knock against you, Nicole. I mean, your your show's fantastic, but yeah, this this gal right here in the pink, I guess. Yeah, it's a different ball game when you are managing other people. Like, you know, I have the advantage. I know what I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, when you're on with other people and the conversation goes here and there, somebody who can like foster the conversation, but like keep it on track. Like, yes, that's, that's definitely a talent. Right. Nicole, you put together like a really clean product though. Like the, your editing and everything, you know, you, you think about everything thoroughly and then finally put it out when you feel it's ready and it shows in your work. Thank you so, so much. Though, yeah. So it, it's understandable that you don't have an episode every week because you have a lot to say. And when you do pick a, t- a subject, you really go into it and you put a lot of thought into it. So, well, I appreciate that. I feel like you guys are always so, um, so encouraging and like you give a lot of space to talk about my show, which is very kind on your show. And so uh, being able to do stuff like this is just I don't know. It's really fun. And um, it sort of like inspires me to keep to keep doing my thing. And uh, even though it's not a weekly thing, like you said, and uh, I don't know, just being in this group of horror podcasters is just it's been great. I'm I'm happy to be here. We're nerds. Yes. We're yeah. All yeah, nerds. We are. Yeah. Well, we like to talk about your show because we like listening to it and we want other mm-hmm. people to listen to it, too. So um, it's it's a very it's like more polished. It's very polished. Yeah. And Hyderberg is right. Like you put a lot of like preparation you don't just like watch a couple of movies and then talk about them for an hour like you put a lot of preparation and research into them so it's like you know it's as he said it shows in the product oh thank you so Uh, much i love the the theme music i've always loved the the opening music yeah well i remember when i changed the name of the podcast i had different theme music for a while i messaged you about it you did yeah Yeah, you did and you were like i don't i like the old music i know the new new music was working as well yeah music was so i don't know i just loved it well that was kind of the push i needed to like go back to it because i had tried a few things and i was like "Mm, none of these are really hitting exactly and so when you said that i was like you know what i'm gonna go back to the old music it was working it's really good yeah it is (laughs) i'm glad you made that decision and i think you have a you have a future if you ever wanted to just do like audiobooks because when you do like your lore um segments like where you tell short stories like you're really good at those your delivery and i feel like you could totally make a side job out of doing audiobooks 
Agreed. Yeah, totally I agree agreed. with that 100%. Yeah, you have a presence on, on the oh. mic. Thanks, guys. But enough, enough about, about me. Right, Let's she's move blushing. On. <laughs> <laughs> John, you guys are you... too kind. Oh, we love you. John, do you have any little news tidbits for us this week? A uh, little bit. Uh, Rob Zombie. Ra- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he got it in early. I, I, didn't yeah. to, I, I didn't mean to force it in, but uh, he just wrapped uh, the Munsters coming out later this year. So are we excited about this? I like for me, I'm curious. I am. I'm excited about it, actually. Not not curious, but I, I want to go watch it. Everybody else? Jacqueline? Are you going to cover it? I, I mean, I really want to see I want to see it, but I would say I'm more curious than excited. I'm excited. I mean, it, it's a PG movie from Rob Zombie, and it's like it's not going to have like his normal yeah. thing stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, it is an opportunity too for, you know, like kids or preteen, like it's an it's another, you know, like gateway maybe for spooky things. So I'm always stoked for that. So, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy it's going to be out there for that, if nothing else. Can you imagine like the eight year old kid who goes to see this movie or like his parents take him to see this movie and then he's like, oh, I'm going to see what else he's done and go yeah, like, yeah. watch a house of a thousand corpses or some shit. Like, <laughs> or go 30, watch 31. Watch 31 oh, or the boy. Halloween remake. Oh, shit. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that kid is in for an awakening. I mean, maybe this film will like open some doors where he'll get to do some like other projects that aren't necessarily, I don't know, maybe he's tapped out. The, the crappy or like grungy sort of films that he's done those grindhouse sort of films that he likes to do maybe he'll branch out and do something different have you guys seen his uh new video for his music uh god what was it it was like the it was the, it was like a weed freak. oh smoke your grass shake or shake your ass smoke your grass yeah that was it have yeah. you guys seen that yeah that's <laughs> not my favorite video <laughs> nicole what do you think of it I haven't seen it. Just that title has got me. Is his wife in it? <laughs> no, it's it's all it's cartoon. cartoon. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's all right. I mean, it, it's. Yeah. It's all right. It's. Mm. I'm not gonna hate. No, no, I'm not gonna hate on it. It's all right. I mean, that's I mean, it's cool. no. Everybody's fucking in a UFO. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not it's even really familiar the, with that. It's really the pinnacle of his musical output, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah. No, I agree with you, Nicole. I think I welcome anything that's like a gateway for younger viewers to kind of get into this into this world. So I, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually. Yeah, I want to see it. I, I, I want to put it on the podcast. <laughs> to, to review it <laughs> no we're doing it i'm so when's the release right. date again we've been talking about this movie every week for like six months and i don't remember when the release date is it's november uh, oh okay all right not too bad november's booked oh is it well, we could just boot something right off the schedule and- oh uh oh, oh, yeah. let's do it for when michael comes on instead yeah, of God. blood rage <laughs> um I did see a quick bit I can add to the news. I saw that the Salem's Lot film that was supposed to be out this uh, fall got pushed back to April. It did. I don't know why, though. I didn't I didn't read up on why. I just saw that it was pushed back because I was hoping to maybe it's the originals on my list of films to cover possibly on the podcast. I was going to try and maybe align it up with the release of the new one. Wow. 
Okay. Well, yeah, I didn't bummer. say I, I didn't read why either, but I did see that they confirmed that it is set in the 70s. Oh, so good. it's going to be like, you know, appropriate to the time of the novel. So mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in it. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Me too. I would have rather had it in the fall, though, during spooky season. But yeah. Oh well. Yeah. I do worry about it a little bit um, being released. You know, horror movies are already like a little bit of a gamble. And so the fact that it's not being released during spooky season is a little concerning. But it also it's, it's a really popular property. So maybe it'll be fine. Stephen King's name is gold right now. So, yeah, it it's is. better than if it were like a January release. April's yeah. Better, at least. Yeah. That's not true. I think that would actually help January. Explain. Well, I mean, it's just we don't get very good movies in January. At the beginning of the year, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, it's this movie or this movie. But that would actually, I don't know. Okay, I got you what you're saying. I mean, They definitely in April. It's got, definitely got to come out before, like all the summer blockbusters overshadow something like that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, wonder they, um, I wonder if they they didn't want to they didn't want to compete with Halloween, maybe. But when was mm. it supposed to come out? Did you say November? I believe so. Okay, so it wasn't going to be directly competing with Halloween. I don't know. Usually, it doesn't bode well. You know, when something gets pushed, it's because yeah. there's a reshoots or there's problems. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, yeah. Like that happened. Black phone got pushed back a few times and a it didn't lot. have anything to do with like creative problems. It was lots of things, but so, you know, who knows? Yeah. Nicole, are you excited about the Halloween ends? Uh, no, I'm not excited <laughs> about She's it. She's the wrong person to ask that. No, I, you know, I was like Halloween 2018. I enjoyed um, I didn't hard. love it, but I enjoyed it. Halloween Kills did not suck. Yeah, I was like, what are we doing? And then so ends, I have just really low expectations for, so it might be fine. But hopefully it comes out on uh, Peacock again, so I don't have to like go to a theater right. pay for it. <laughs> I did see an interview with John Carpenter. He goes, yeah, Halloween is not going to be anything that had to do with the previous movies. And I went, he said it's unconventional, I think. So, yeah, you're that, yeah, yeah. And I went, why? I mean, just it, just end this thing. Uh, Halloween ends, end it. Sorry. It's not going to end. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's never going to end. It's such a stupid title. <laughs> it really it, it is. So Hydraberg, I would love to hear you go on like a 10 minute monologue about the continuity within the Halloween franchise. If I could understand it, sure, I would. But I don't even can't begin to understand. You know, <laughs> that's a good idea for a podcast is to go yeah. into horror movies like horror franchises that have convoluted timelines and like <laughs> specifically try to talk about the chronological events like Saw would be great for that. Yes. Yeah. You, could, you never know where you're at in that franchise. <laughs> Halloween would be great. You could like talk about the different branches, you know. Friday the 13th going to Manhattan. Yeah, but at least that's still consistent. The Friday the 13th films still take place in a timeline. No, him him getting to Manhattan doesn't make any fucking sense, but it's at it least one single after the like, seventh thread. movie. Yeah, yeah. And then he eventually gets into outer space. Like we get it how it worked, John. What are that there was, like four different Halloween threads? Like branches? At least, yeah. I think there's at least four. Is there? Oh, there's yeah. definitely th- there's definitely three because yeah. you've got the so you can watch 
Halloween and go straight to H2O. Mm -hmm. You can do Halloween one, two, four, five, six. That's another one. Then you've got the third track would be the original Halloween and then Hello Green. (laughs) Halloween and Kills Halloween ends. Yeah. So there's three. Well, or, and, and I then think Halloween within 3, there, Halloween three is by itself. That's its own little that floating can be, bridge. Oh yeah, that can be its own thing. Oh, and there's also wait, we forgot about the no, zombie don't don't track. don't Rob Zombie. So there's no oh, yeah, the Rob God Zombie timeline. <laughs> and then how, there's a how could we like forget? A, there's like a fan theory that like the masks that were used in the third film that is actually like a prequel, and that like the mask that Michael Myers puts on is actually one of those masks. Like a, a variation of those masks. Are you talking about the Rob Zombie? Like 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 when he puts on that? No, no, no. I'm talking no, about no. like the original Halloween. Like the mask that he uses is actually one of those masks. Shamrock masks. Like a variation of it or something. It was a fan theory. That rumor. So yeah. there is. I rewatched uh, Halloween 6 last year. The Curse of mm-hmm. Michael Myers. I just wanted to because it's the one that I have like the least recollection of. And is like, that the one with the rat? No, no. So they missed a golden opportunity here because people don't like three. Well, a lot of people love three, but like, you know, there are detractors for three and then a lot of people hate six. But in six, if you will recall, that's the one where you find out about the cult of thorn and that Michael was like chosen from this tribe of thorn to be this evil child to like carry out this. But there's lots of like druidic imagery in it. And that's basically what's happening in three. So I'm like, they missed a golden opportunity to kind of tie three and six together with these like witch covens. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but when I was watching it, I was like, they might as well just went all in on this right. and made it all make sense. So I am waiting for the glorious day when someone has the balls to like embrace three and somehow bring it back into the michael myers story like Nicole, it's you I'm ready you do it you do it <laughs> it's like the multiverse of michael myers like <laughs> be the change you want to see in the world <laughs> okay great i'm packing up i'm moving to la i'm jason blum i'm gonna be knocking on your door tomorrow jason Blumkin. Hey, he and i went to the same college maybe really maybe i can connect with him through some alumni thing and yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll we'll get it started. Yeah, find some mutual connections. Let's make this happen. Yeah. By the way, Heidelberg said Jason Blumpkin. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Isn't that, his, isn't that his name? Wait, is that? Did you say that and I missed it? Yeah. Oh my did. god. I, snuck <laughs> I was too me. excited about the idea of Nicole making a Halloween movie. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, that was an interesting news piece. Um. Heidelberg, did you want to talk about that other little morsel? Um. Well, just I sent you uh, a couple weeks ago. I saw on Bloody Disgusting that uh, Paramount Films is making a movie, apparently, or they wrapped a movie called Apartment 7A that everybody's speculating is a prequel sequel or a secret prequel, whatever you call these things nowadays, uh, to Rosemary's Baby. And I sent it to you, Jacqueline, in particular, because I know Rosemary's Baby is like your favorite film ever. Mm-hmm. I can tell by your scowl right now that you don't agree with this. <laughs> idea <laughs> she's looking I down just, right now i'm so upset about this because <laughs> so many reasons um i i think rosemary's baby is just something that needs to be left alone yeah. i did not appreciate the made for tv miniseries remake from a few years ago we don't need a prequel to this just leave it alone it is perfect leave it alone uh and then it would, so that was my immediate response upon just reading the headline. I was like, oh God. 
And then when I read the article, well, for actually at first I was like, this can't be real. They can't be doing that. Not really. But then when I looked it up on IMDb, sure enough, the, there are characters named Guy and Rosemary Woodhouse. So, I mean, that would strongly suggest that it's, it's related somehow. And um, uh, the bloody disgusting article said something about centering around um, the, uh, uh, the young woman who was, who died outside of the building, you know, the apartment building in Rosemary's baby. So that could only be Terry. I don't know how well you guys remember that movie, but it could only be Terry. And I don't want a, a whole story about Terry. Part of the reason that that part of Rosemary's baby is great is that it's like a little mysterious what her involvement is. So I just, I'm not for it. I'm not for it. Boo. Now, was Terry supposed, was there, was she supposed to be like the Rosemary before Rosemary? Like mm-hmm. did they try, they tried it with somebody else, right? And yes. Like- yes. But they okay. made the mistake of telling her what was going on. Yeah. And that, and the, obviously she didn't receive that news well, mm-hmm. as one would be expected not to do. I mean, it's a dumb, it's, it sounds kind of dumb, like to just, a, I don't know, like, do you really need to go back to that? Well, like you said, it's a classic. Don't touch it. Who knows? I mean, if it's done properly, it could be a, still a good movie, but it just doesn't even if it's good, it doesn't need to be exist. Like it just just leave it alone. I mean, if somehow it turns out to be good, I will I will welcome it's it. Like, but I just don't see how that could be. It's doing like, a prequel to Cujo and showing him as a puppy. Like, I don't need to fucking see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and plus, it's like 55 years later. I know. Like, I just anyway. I'm well, who's the audience for this film as well? Like, what do you, where are you marketing this towards? It's us. I mean, it's it, I guess it, it's horror movie fans who are like, we're curious, but we're not we're hesitant uh, wanting to watch it right yeah uh, we'll see i don't know I don't, i'm not even sure who's attached to creating it and everything i used to have a theory or an idea for like what if i always wanted them to do like a prequel to elm street where it was just like a, a thriller about like a child killer mm-hmm. and then it turns mm-hmm. out in the very end you mm-hmm. find out when he gets killed that these families come together they burn them and then like it pans out and you see like the street name and it's Elm Street. So like the whole time, they never say Freddy. They never say anything. And right, it's just like right. a secret prequel to Friday 13th. I mean, Friday 13th to um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously, it gotta, yeah, it, it's a cool idea, but you have to market these things. And so you have to let it slip. I, I feel like unless you do it like split, you have to kind of market it towards that audience. You can't just have a sneaky film that I feel like well, we, you would have to, to try it, but it's whoever made it would have to be brave enough to just stand behind. Like uh-huh. the show is quite like you have to make, it has to be quality. Yeah. And then yep. the producers have to like have enough faith in it that like people are going to watch it and then word of mouth and they're going to see. Right. And then word of mouth is going to propel it. So it's a little of a risky proposition, but I do know that uh number on Elm street has been stalled for a while. Like just, I don't know, due to a lot of things, I guess. But I think the rights are going back to the Craven family like soon. And I heard this rumor that HBO was going to do like a series Nightmare on Elm Street. So this has been a while. So that might not be accurate anymore. But that's something I had heard. So see, that would be if the first episode or two was something like you're talking about. That would be really great. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have two people on this show who come up with better ideas for movies <laughs> than uh, the people who actually make them. So, all right, Nicole, I'm we're going to start collaborating on a film together. Do it. Seriously. 
All right. Well, I think that's it for news. Um, well, well, I just want to say is that if we actually did a remake or, or a reboot, it's got to be Phantasm, right? I, well, we I talked about would, that. Yeah, I Rob like, Zombie's I like that. Yeah. Rob Zombie's Phantasm. Fuck <laughs> off. But <I'm> just <laughs> he's got the balls to do it, John. <laughs> he believes in himself. He sure does. He sure does. It's got all the touch tones of a Rob Zombie film. I'm it's just saying chicks, that, that Phantasm could be uh, awesome. Shotguns and muscle cars. Yeah. I'll play your game. I do think it could be really cool. <laughs> yeah. Actually, with the right too. with the right people <laughs> attached. Yeah. yeah. Because Phantasm is very like it's a certain tone and it's very strange and it has to stay strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you though, John. Actually, that could be a cool. It's been enough time. I feel like you could do a pretty cool reboot. I agree. Yeah, and bring Rob Rob Zombie. (laughs) Well, I can't help it, man. I think the guy's. You know, he's he's got talent when it when it counts. You know. Sure. For any other major horror properties we touch on, just talk about Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, let's just maybe. talk about like, all of them. Oh, all of speaking them. Of, speaking of Hellraiser, real quick, there's a retro <laughs> picture show. It has nothing to do with Rob Zombie, guys. Retro picture show by me. This like special thing at a cinema art center. They've been closed since COVID. Uh, they closed down during COVID. The last thing I saw there was the um, Redneck Save Hollywood um, with Joe Bob. I met Joe mm-hmm. Bob there and Darcy. And then COVID them? happened and shut everything down. Yeah, like nobody was able to be within five feet of one another. I know, but um, you met them? I met them, yes. I have oh, a picture no. with them. I had a, I, I have a picture signed of Joe Bob uh, that I have framed. And I also got a sticker, a straight chilling sticker signed for Bob by both of them. And I sent and I mailed it to Bob when I was there. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good friend. So um, that was the last time I was there. And they, they, they do like these double features. Uh, sometimes triple features or like sleepover nights sometimes where they'll have like late movies playing and they play the old original like 35 millimeter films and they had the old seating like an old theater so they remodeled it while they were shut down and that took a while too because they were like crowdfunding it they just recently finally reopened and they just put up tickets I just bought two to Hellraiser 2 in August so it's like a 10pm showing me and my buddy are going to go it's a 35 millimeter like special um, you know they borrowed the film some from some like historical thing or something like that. And they're going to air it. So it's going to be pretty cool. I haven't seen the place since they remodeled it. You can also drink beer while you're there and wine. So it's pretty cool. Love that. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm super pumped for that. That sounds rad. All right. I'm afraid I'm going to have to exercise my authority as host and move us along to actually talking right. about session nine. Cause it's been, a, it's been a minute. So. Okay. Joe Bob's right. coming back season five, by the way. Oh yeah, he is. He is. I've lost control. And you said you didn't have news, John. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? You're jumping in here with surprise news? I am. <laughs> anyway, right, session, nine. session nine, anyone? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, shall I tell you guys why I chose this film? Please. Absolutely. Because I fucking love it. That's it. <laughs> well, I guess we know if it fucks. Well, shall, shall we move into that now? Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Somebody asked me if this movie fucks or sucks. Uh, Jacqueline, does this movie fuck or suck? This movie fucks so hard that my cervix hurts afterwards. Oh, my ah. God. Wow. Should we call it session 69 or maybe section, <laughs> session nine inches? I don't know. Whatever. I'm just getting dirty here. Oh, my God. Sorry, Nicole. 
You couldn't wait. You couldn't wait. You had that in your notes, didn't you? No, I didn't actually. I just came up with it just on the waiting cuff. for the opportunity session 69. <laughs> All right. For cervix. Wow. It fucks really hard. I told you. I think we found the first new clip for our 100th episode anniversary uh, special. I agree. All right. Nicole. Mark down the timestamp, John. Nicole, does this movie fuck or suck? It fucks. And uh, I don't have any like cute (laughs) stories or like euphemisms. Like it just does. It's just good. So that's all I got to say. Hydraberg. Hey, throwing it to me. All right. Um, All right. So, ladies, I don't want to buck the trend, but unfortunately for me, this is not the best fuck. It could have been a really good fuck, but instead it ends up being a semi hard mind fuck. What? I don't know what to do with that. Okay. It's it's not classic. It's better than classic. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, for a minute, I, I was just getting over my terror that you were going to say that it sucked. And I no, was, I don't think it sucks. I'm not going to know what to do with that. Having watched it again recently and having to be critical of it, I've definitely I've, I've poked some holes in it. OK. All right. Well, I'm interested to hear. Sorry, John, that wasn't supposed to be sexual at all. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John, what do you think? Does it fuck or suck? Uh, this movie fucks, but <laughs> You broke me. What? Oh, sorry. I broke, I broke John. Sorry. All right. Well, John, can you hit us with a spoiler warning so that we can spoil this? Yeah, we'll talk about uh, Session 9 from 2001 in its entirety. If you have not seen this movie, last podcast, come back to find out thought about it. And uh, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Okay. Heidelberg, do you have a reach John, around? why don't you just relax while I give you a reach around? <laughs> ready? I'm ready. Gordon Fleming is a business owner and a new father. A baby back home with a loving mother. Hires Phil for a job because they are like brothers. But lack of sleep and stress caused Gordon to suffer. The rest of the crew is mixed with a few others. Mullethead is indebted to his uncle, who he truly thanks. One of the five is lobotomized with the long lost shank. So no more scratches for old poor Hank. Mike becomes obsessed with patient 444. Found recordings unravel the film spooky lore of Mary Hobbs and her fractured psyche. Simon, the one who's in control of her split personalities. And now it seems he has control over Gordon. Has him kill his own family while spaghetti is boiling. Now the crew begin to turn on each other. Phil is sus for Hank's disappearance over an old lover. But it's Gordon who's responsible. His hands covered in blood and rubber. This asylum has taken them and stuck them like glue. Simon has killed the rest of the crew and left Gordon a rot and twist like a screw. Now that's the end of the film. I bid you adieu. All I have left is to say, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, you will not understand why that's hilarious, but um, it's a pretty, pretty famous and oft imitated uh, moment from the film and, and gift as well yeah it's, it's a gift. gift uh that opening shot just to start off like i really like the just the opening of this film i forgot how good it sort of just sets that tone of the creepy asylum that camera turn mm-hmm. of the upside down chair and how it just turns is some really good camera work and i just really like that opening shot and the atmosphere in general of this film is just really good i love a good asylum 
setting. Yeah, I thought aesthetically this movie looked really good because it was, um, uh, I don't know, Upper New York or Massachusetts. uh, Massachusetts, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it looked really good. Yeah. So fun fact about the location, um, Danvers Mental Institution, which is no longer there. But um, Danvers, the city of Danvers, used to be Salem Village. And it's very close to Salem. So the, si- the current city of Salem used to be called Salem Town. And then you had Salem Village. And Salem Village is where all of the witchcrafty stuff went down. Like, that's where the first, like, that's where a lot of the girls lived who first encountered, like, their symptoms. Um, so I just recently learned that and found that really fascinating. So I thought... Like how fitting that this creepy, famous haunted asylum is on the same ground as like the original Salem witch debacle. Mm-hmm. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. Nicole, didn't you take a trip to Salem recently, like within the past year or sometime? Uh, yeah, last April, April mm-hmm. 2021. And mm-hmm. it was lovely. You went with your mom, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, my spooky mom. It was for her <laughs> for her birthday. We had a, awesome. a lovely time. Yeah. So we we had uh, lots of spooky fun, but also like Salem was just a lovely city and the people were all great. And I recommend really anybody who's a fan of either history or spooky stuff needs to go visit. And if you can, if you have a car, we didn't. But if you have a car, you need to drive over to Danvers. Yeah. So one of the things that I think makes this movie so creepy is that Danvers was a real place. And basically all of the history that they relate in this film about the, about Danvers state asylum is basically true. Mm -hmm. Um, All the stuff about, you know, shutting down in the late eighties budget cuts, but also this stuff about like satanic panic and people having these like ideas planted in their head that they, you know, they thought they were repressed memories about like ritualistic abuse that all really happened. And they're like wild family orgies. Or whatever well, it was. The, well, those didn't really happen. Oh, okay. But these stories about families being yeah. torn apart because okay. there was this like type of therapy that was supposed to bring up your repressed memories. But really, a lot of times these people were kind of unintentionally fabricating stories after kind of having these ideas planted in their head. And um, so that that was like a real thing that happened. And also, I read that they really didn't have to do any set dressing mm-hmm. for this movie. Like the fucking pictures and like the what do you call it? Like the collages on the wall. Yeah, that's all there? That was all real. That was really there. Including Mary Hobbs' room with like, you know, the pictures of baby dolls and And Christmas trees, the horses and that that headline that always felt really ominous to me. It says, suddenly it's going to dawn on you. Yeah. Yeah. That always hit me creepy because it's like, if you're watching it for the first time, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who is really losing their mind and who's not. And, and so it's kind of this feeling of foreboding, at least for me. And I also Um, read, um, and I don't know if I'm stepping on your trivia here, but I also read the the script (laughs) was written like based on the place. So it sounds to me as if like the director had been there and was like, Oh, I'm going to write a movie about this. And I think that's why the atmosphere and the setting is really so great because it was tailor-made for that location. So, you know, the guy who plays Mike, Mm -hmm. who seems to have the most lore about the asylum knows the most about it, who also Mm -hmm. delves into the tapes. Mm -hmm. He's actually one of the co-writers of the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's primarily him and Brad Anderson, the director. So, okay. They're the main writers. Yeah. Also, I just love a good asylum film. Like, 
especially abandoned ones like films like this, um, like Grave Encounters. Uh, I, what is it? Uh, Conjium Haunted Asylum and like Cure for Wellness are just a couple that I can think of, even though Cure for Wellness is like a technically a health clinic, but it's very much like an asylum. It's and it's just those like locations, that. even if they're up and running or not run or abandoned, like they just set such a great tone for a film like of this nature of, you know, something spooky. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I, I just have to say, I think almost almost every single aesthetic choice in session nine is so perfect in the way of creating feelings of dread. Yeah. Um, like the sound design, like when Gordon is hearing voices in his head before they start speaking, you always get this kind of like radio static sound ahead of it's almost like he's a receiver. You get um, it in the like, very first shot of him in the in the van, right? And you hear yes. the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, again, it's like if it's your first time watching it, you're not sure what to make of it. And what does this mean? Um, but yeah, the sound design and the music in the movie isn't really always music. A lot of times it's just like sort of mechanical sounds or kind of droning, <laughs> buzzing type sounds or like single piano note keys, which I know yeah. <laughs> like Randy hates on Straight Shine. But this isn't like a slowed down version of a well-known song. It's just like kind of a simple yeah. slow melody yeah it's um, it's like a original. case where being on a budget it i think really added because the little bits of music that we get i mean they're very sparse but they're very unsettling yeah yes have you guys ever been in an abandoned building like one of these like something run down ever nothing so, as bad as that no i no. used well, there used to be this old racetrack uh for horses in Suffolk County, where I grew up, and we used to go to this building all the time. It was called Sunken Meadows, and it was an abandoned building like this. There was a basement you can go into that, like, bums might have slept in and stuff like that. So it was kind of, the, you know, kids did graffiti there. We used to break things, you know, throw shit off the roof and have bonfires. But, like, these kind of buildings, like, do the auditory lo- noises and stuff, like, it, they, they're settling. They're old. They're, like, things are broken. And, like, there is tons of, like, extra atmospheric noise that you just pick up on in these places especially at night or like during the day when everything else is quiet like this movie there's nothing but wooded area around them so there's not like they're picking up cars from the freeway or the city like so everything's just super quiet and you just pick up on any any type of little noise in this place Mm -hmm. and it totally adds to that atmosphere like you said yeah visually sound wise visually everything um i think it just really works like it's I feel like as a horror fan, and I'm, I imagine you guys can all relate to this, like as the years have gone on, it gets harder and harder. And I mean, I feel like these days are kind of past us, but it's harder and harder to get scared. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've mm-hmm. watched so many movies and we're so jaded and it's like, it's, it's hard for me to remember the days when I was very young and certain things used to frighten me, but this movie actually really gets under my skin. And the, fir- the first time I saw it, actually, my boyfriend at the time had recommended it to me. And I was in my like, I was like 24, maybe 25. And I was hanging out at my mom's house. And then I don't know why I did this because I-, I lived like a mile down the road, but I was at my mom's house and I just, I had the DVD with me and I was like, oh, I'll just watch this here after she goes to bed, after my mom goes to bed. And so I watched it by myself in the dark at like 11 o'clock at night. And it upset me so much. <laughs> I went and got in bed with my mom, just slept over at her house. And then the next morning I was like, mom, you got to watch this movie. And I made her watch <laughs> it with me at like nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> she wow. was like, why? 
why did you why did you do that so what a great viewing but experience it's just, it's, it was awesome it made me so much more scared than i think i would yeah. have i know but david russo is such, yeah, his, he, he is a shitty actor i'm sorry yeah, his acting got under my skin that's what got under my skin yeah he, he's so bad tell tell yeah. me about that he's bad Go-hoo! whatever that noise is from csi i don't know what's that noise <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen it. Screeching. Yeah, there's like a noise to his CSI. He does bird calls. I, I, he just <laughs> They kept saying, you know, um, the main character is like, wake up. And I was like, I'm not feeling it. Okay, wake up. Okay, you gotta. Oh my god. So John, like I'm with you. I I, I David Caruso's acting is definitely one of the parts of this movie that I don't enjoy that much. I don't enjoy him as an actor really at all. I feel like he overacts or underacts. It's never in be- there's never a, a in between with him. But mm. I will say that like the characters are all pretty believable and I believe like their relationships that they've worked together. I believe that they have a past before we've seen them in this film. You know, like the kid who's the uh, you know the, the nephew and Hank having like a relationship with uh, Caruso, uh, what's his name? Phil's ex-girlfriend or whatever. Like it all seems pretty relatable and believable to me, at least as mm-hmm. far as the writing goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicole, what do you think about Caruso's acting? Do you have an opinion about it? Um, I mean, I think he's fine. Like he's my least favorite. He's probably my least favorite, maybe character mm. and performer in this movie. Um, but also like, we're not really supposed to like him. I don't think, um, like I remember there were several things I've seen this movie maybe four or five times. And there were several things I noticed this time that I did not notice before, maybe just because I was watching it more closely. But, um, one of the things that struck me is that, you know, Phil seems like kind of opportunistic. Like at first you think, oh, well, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's in Gordon's court. He's looking out for him. He's like his right hand, but then you sort of slowly realize that he's maybe looking for opportunities to like take over and take control. Um, And when he pulls Mike aside and is like, dude, we got to do something about this. Like, I'm really concerned about Gordon. And like, we, you know, we have to do something when this other guy's coming and we need to be ready and you need to help me do this. Like, I remember thinking like, man, like what a sleaze ball, but then he's right. You know, like Gordon is cracking and they do, he does need time off and they do need to replace him, you know? Yeah. So and I remember to get the job Hank. done. Yeah, he's he's like he's sort of right about everything. So it's like he's the kind of person that's like you can be right in a wrong way. Like that is Phil. And like you don't want <laughs> to listen to him because he's just he just seems like kind of an opt- opportunistic sleazeball to some extent, you know. Yeah. Um, but also I'm like, you can tell they've had a history. So I understand why Gordon kind of like trusts all his people and Gordon thinks it's going to work out. It's always worked out before. I know there's some problems, but like put your personal stuff aside and like, let's just get this job done. Like we got and Gordon's like really desperate, too, because of his newborn child. And like he's stressed out more than he's ever been. And and Phil, since they're so close, can see that like easily. Well, and even Hank, um, you know, says like. Gordon is the Zen master of cool. Like mm-hmm. he's, he never cracks. He's very calm. But even he says like, but I'm starting to see cracks, you know? So that was, that's yeah. just a kind of a really nice little setup where, you know, it, it's one of those 
one of those pieces of dialogue that I really appreciate where like two characters are talking to each other, but they're really talking to us, you know, mm-hmm. and we learn a lot yeah. from that little um, snippet between Hank and um, oh, I can't remember his nephew's name. Uh, Mullet Jeff. 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 Yes. Yeah. That whole that whole scene is is uh, really insightful, I think. So speaking of that actor who plays Jeff, mm-hmm. I've never liked that fucking actor. Don't get me wrong. He's played good roles. I just can't get in. Like, I don't know, man. He always plays like a douchey character. And I just feel like the actual guy who plays the douchey character might actually just be a douchey person. And he plays them very well. What are you talking about? Hank or Jeff? Which one? You I'm talking, talking about, about Jeff. I'm talking about Mullethead. What else has oh, he been in? I don't, yeah, I don't recognize him. him I looked at his else. filmography. He's been in a bunch of stuff, but it's like he's a character actor, but he mainly plays like a douchey twerp or like scummy guy a lot of times. Um, but he I didn't feel like he was that in this movie, though. A little yeah, bit. Like he was just, I don't know. I just he's like, like a, just a kind of nice kid who's like yeah, kind of learning green. a trade. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I exactly. Just, he was trying well, to help out. That's all he was. Yeah. He well, was, like, especially when he goes out, when Gordon is like sitting in the graveyard and he goes out there and he's yeah, concerned yeah. about his uncle. Yeah. And, you know, and like, and in his own way, when he said, Hey, man, don't worry, I'm going to bust my ass for you. You know, like he's, he's basically saying, like, Dude, it's going to be okay. I'm here. It might just um, be the mullet that really got me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, <laughs> His name's Brandon Sexton the third too. I just I don't know what the name like that. I just I guess maybe maybe I just uh, I'm judging him. Jeez, judgy Hydra. I'm sorry, man. I can't stand the face on his face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually think he's a highlight of this movie. I think he he plays the that role well of like he does the kind of young, inexperienced kid, but he seems good hearted and he goes out and has that conversation with Gordon. And there's a moment, you know, I was saying earlier. Well, Phil was also right about Hank because he was trying to warn Gordon that Hank's unreliable and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I know what really, you know, we all know what really happened to Hank. But before what really happened to Hank happened to him, he he was planning to take all those old coins and skip town and go mm-hmm. like do his own thing. And so he was right. And there's a scene where um, I just forgot the kid, Jeff, is doing something with Hank and Hank's like, well, let me go take a smoke break. And Jeff is like, we just had a break. Like he has yeah, more of a yeah. sense of responsibility and obligation than yeah, Hank does. All right, you're talking me into it. He just plays a lot of douchey characters in a lot of other films yeah. too. So I just kind of like, there's some baggage there. I think with that actor. He also his what was it nyctophobia? His like fear of the dark yeah. also yeah. added yeah. like yeah. it added kind of like a little bit of sympathy to him because at first you're like, dude, like that's kind of pathetic. Like you're when he panics in the end, yeah, yeah. But and, yeah, and like bad. you know his coworkers like give him a break. They're like okay, like you do this instead. I'll go into the dark, creepy. And then yeah, when he has that meltdown, you really do feel for him. I do love the way to like cope with his meltdown is when he finally got fresh air. Was like he started eating some Oreos that he found. <laughs> And then he started to apologize to his uncle. Like, oh, I found him in the truck. I'm sorry. Yeah. He just started. You don't know that it's his uncle yet. But speaking of those Oreos. So that's one of the things I noticed. So you know how you see you see that scene of Gordon grabbing that bag of stuff and like getting out of his truck. Like you see that a whole bunch of times. And this time I noticed like everything in that bag, like the Oreos in the truck are in the bag. 
at one point they find an empty thing of peanut butter in the hallway. Hank finds it. That's from the bag. You yeah. see the roses in the corner, which the roses are more prominent. Like, I feel like everybody mm-hmm. probably notices that. But like mm-hmm. they're they're telling you throughout the movie, this man is living in this asylum. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also something I noticed this time around or I don't know, I, I don't I didn't notice it for a long time was. There's a moment when you when you are seeing things from the killer's point of view, uh, but you can't see who it is, and, mm-hmm. but you can hear the footsteps and you hear it's limping. It's uneven oh, because footsteps. of the burn on his leg. Because oh. yeah, we see him limping, you know, and he has that bit of dialogue with Phil about the, yeah. you know, oh, you know, I must have pulled something or whatever. But we see him treating the burn. You know, yeah. It's like from mom's spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> and so you hear the footsteps, but they're uneven. They're syncopated. So. I did not notice that. That's smart. So like Gordon's definitely like he's not right off the bat when we first see him before he's even entered the asylum too. like. I guess that's how Simon's able to prey on him, because like mm-hmm. he, the final words that Simon says, right, is like he he can like basically find out like the what was it? The weak and the wounded. He says, mm-hmm. I live in the weak and the wounded. So yeah. that is how he's yeah. able to. Like Gordon's sort of a broken man at this point. He's so stressed out about his newborn kid, his failing business or possibly failing business at any point now that he's like able to succumb to Simon. Mm-hmm. And basically that's- the first time that he enters the asylum, we're assuming that like that's when Simon's able to. Like, you know, that's something get- that I, I I thought about this time as well, because um when they first come in and he's looking down the hallway at the chair, he's looking down the chair hallway that's the you first time we hear he says, hello, Gordon. Mm-hmm. And it, that so I was like, OK, so I think what's happening is because I paid really close attention to the timeline from then on. So I think that um, that night he goes home and has the accident. Yeah. So I think what we're supposed to believe is that, yeah, he came into the asylum and he's being, you know, influenced by this force that like you said he's vulnerable to just because of his state because i remember yeah. the first time i watched this being a little confused about because you don't know you know you're on such a ride you just you don't know what you're expecting and i remember being confused about that i was like so simon is in mary but in gordon like i didn't yeah. i was taking it a little too literally you know um and on the multiple watches i think it's more of just you know a metaphor for just like the influences of what can happen when you're in this kind of weak and wounded state, you know, yeah, especially we, since, yeah. especially since we learned early on that he, he has been such a rock all this time. Um, but because he's worn down, he's now in this like really vulnerable state. So I don't know. I kind of like the ambiguousness of like Simon and what that is and what that means. And, you know, cause we're hearing the voice on the recorder and like Gordon's hearing the same voice, but like in reality, it's not the same voice. Yeah, and we don't right. get the recording you know voice until later on in the recordings till the very end when you finally I, meet Simon. Let me ask this though. Is the wife dead? Yes. Yes. So is the baby. Okay. They yeah. they were both dead from the second day. The, 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 the first, first day, day when yeah. they came to work after that initial. And then like, he's been tour. like calling them. Like that's that's his own psyche, sort of like branching yeah. out from the influence of Simon. feeling guilt and like sort of i guess lying to himself about like what actually happened yes that's how i read it too aware yet of actually what he did and those phone calls are so sad too um yeah because that cell phone's like this big (laughs) (laughs) but we don't like because we you know we don't know at first that the cell phone is broken and so but when he's like 
you know, I'm so sorry. Can I come home? I miss you. Like, oh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. really heartbreaking. And um, so, what are you saying? Oh, I was just going to say, like, in terms of how to interpret the the link between Simon and like Mary Hobbs and Gordon, I'm inclined to agree with Nicole that I feel like it's not literal. Like, I don't think there's like a supernatural connection between Mary Hobbs and Gordon. And I don't think Simon is like an evil entity or anything. I think it's, I think it's like, I read it as like more metaphorical. Like everybody has their own darkness that can come out. And I think similar to the shining, I think Gordon. That's what I was comparing this to. Yeah. He's already broken when he gets there. Exactly. But then the, just being in this particular environment just kind of like brings up his madness. Yeah. yeah, uh, Hank talks about when he's telling Jeff about the job. I think it, yeah. When uh, Jeff is first, first playing the music and Hank's like, you got to turn that off. And he talks about there's, you know, this, this stuff, it gets in you and it festers and it turns into this cancer. I was like, yeah, that's what's happened in here. That's what's happened so, to Gordon. Yeah, I don't when when they show Mike open the box, it almost seems as if he unleashed something when he opened the box, as mm. if those tapes were put away, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then we we're led to believe that Simon had already influenced uh, Gordon before that. But now we're thinking like, oh well, maybe there really is no Simon. You know, it's like just the I don't know. It's almost like was Simon was Simon an entity that sort of you know like a ghost sort of that like whatever happened to Mary was so traumatic that like it left, it was left in the building as time went by. You know, I will say this cause I don't, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's like a literal like ghost or demon, yeah. but I also noticed at this time that they gave special care to showing him opening that box. It was I, like I picked up things on that ramped well. up once that box opened. Yeah. And, and they made right. a point to like show that. So I kind of mm-hmm. had that sort of thought too. He opened the box. Gordon cut his finger at like the same time. They cut to a couple of things as the box yeah. opened. But I think I think it's still more metaphorical in that, you know, the like the the place is like, quote unquote, haunted. And I don't mean like by ghost. I mean, it's like a haunted place. And you think about how much sadness and sickness and pain and darkness took place under this roof. Yeah. So I think it is. I think it is significant in that regard and that he's unleashing this story of this woman's pain and how it affected her. And now we're going to see that same story play out with Gordon and this place that's just dark and like heavy. Um, So, yeah, I think it's it's still it's connected, but more metaphorical. I I wonder. Go ahead. No, no, no. no, I just wonder if it would have played out better for me if like Gordon was the one who played the tapes and was influenced by Simon that way. Rather than Mike finding out about Simon, but Gordon somehow just being, I don't know, almost going through the same motions. But like we're like we're thinking like it's maybe Gordon's. I mean, Simon's not an entity because in my mind, he sort of is like, I don't know. You hear his voice. He's influencing. I don't know that he's possessing Mike necessarily, but he's definitely I mean, um, Gordon, but he's definitely pushing him towards like, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get the sense that just because you had a newborn baby and a family business doesn't mean you're just going to start killing people. Like, so something pushed him over the edge, you know? And I feel like Simon would have to be somewhat of a real thing in order to do that. I don't know. I mean, people snap every day. They do. You know? Yeah. And I, so there's a, there's a podcast called um, the psychoanalysis podcast. Mm. And they talk about horror films, like from a mental health perspective 
And um, I really recommend listening to their episode on session nine. I loved it. And oh, wow. I re-listened to it before um, we came on here and their topic um, when during the month they were covering session nine was uh, workplace stress or workplace trauma or something like that. Um, and they, they just, there's a, just a ton of insight onto like um, Gordon's mental state and the pressure he faces as a business owner and he has no safety net. And if he loses his job, it's not just him, it's his wife and his new child and just all these things. But, um, they also casually mention, um, like these like family killers and how, if you look at people who do just randomly kill their whole family, that like financial stress is one of the major, almost every time that's one of the things. Um, that makes sense. And also yeah, like, workplace violence. Sometimes there's a lot of people that end up going into the workplace when they decide they're going to kill themselves or something and they do something, you know, harsh or violent at their workplace first before they, they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I will tell you like extreme sleep deprivation can yeah. make your brain do some really weird things. I'm not saying that like people with newborn babies who are sleep deprived are like, you know, susceptible to like killing their families but i am just saying like you know if you take that to like the extreme you know limit within the context of a film like you can take it to this horror realm um but i mean i i have been in some dark places when you're like up all night and nobody else is awake and you know like you feel like you're alone in the world and you, you can go to some dark places yeah. when it's night after night after night after night after night of this. And like, you feel like you're losing your fucking I can mind. imagine that combined with like postpartum too being really fucking tough to deal with as a woman mm-hmm. who just had a child. And I mean, there's, there's even, you know, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie to even just support that Gordon is just under a lot of pressure. Um, like whenever he tells Phil, Phil and he, he says, and he tells the story, but doesn't tell the whole story. And um, he just says, you know, he says he was he was tired and he said, I don't know if it was the dog barking or the baby crying or what it was. But he's like, I just snapped and I hit my wife and he says, I love my wife. You know, so you can tell that he just like even he can't believe this happened, but it did. Mm -hmm. And there's just like little snippets throughout the movie that are basically telling you like Gordon's a good a good guy and he's a stable guy. But all these factors are really making a difference. There is a moment where it sounds like he got a little. Well, I think you're so spot on. Where his wife's like, oh, not right now. And then like, then the violence happens. Yeah. Well, it I sounds he was like just trying to give her a kiss. Yeah. That's okay. What it sounded like. And then she probably, you know, they were probably like playing or whatever. Maybe she had the baby in her hand or something. Yeah. And then the accident happened. On a side note, what the fuck is the layout of this house? Because Gordon, when he's watching the house, the kitchen's the street, right there in the front door. See, the stove is like two feet away from the door. On like the front you walk door. In the door, and you're like, yeah, and you're weird. like on the stove. What the fuck is the layout of this house? A really weird looking stove. Damn. Yeah. Awesome. Like, welcome. Stove Would you from like, like some the 30s. soup? Is it? Yeah. yeah, it looks very old. <laughs> yeah, it is. Anyway. So, um, what are we saying? Go ahead, Hydrobrick. I was gonna change topics. Go ahead. Oh no, just um, so was I. Just one of the things that, like, uh, besides the atmosphere of the asylum, that creeped me out were the the tapes, like mm-hmm. the different personalities and the voice changing. Oh like, man, the I don't know if it's the same person. Like, who, how many actors did those different voices? But they were really well done. How they changed, like at at like a drop of a dime. Like 
from one personality to the next. And even the doctor's voice, they were like, because they're old recordings, they twist a little bit, like audio wise, they get a little like messed up and you hear like a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's like distortion in them where it just adds to like, even the doctor who's supposed to be a good, nice guy, or at least we're supposed to assume he is. um, Even his voice sounds like sort of evil at times, you know? And I, I just feel like I like the atmosphere mm-hmm. that those cassettes, um, those tapes add to the film as Mike's listening to them. Yeah, me too. They're chilling. And I, I like too how sometimes when we're listening to the recordings, they're giving us little snapshots of what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Like while Mike is listening, like that stuff is really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Like Mike's going back to and listen. I like to hearing things. how. A f- <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead. And I like hearing how afraid Mary Hobbs is when the doctor's trying to get her to remember these things. And she's so terrified and doesn't want to remember. And it's before we know the, the full story of what happened. And it's like, oh my God, what could it be that she's yeah. so like terrified to bring this up? Like that voice acting, I think is really effective. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's more sessions than session nine, but session nine is when Simon comes out. Is that what, right? That's the one where Simon oh, there's is not- poked Yeah. There are no more tapes after session nine. That's the end. But on the docket, they show more sessions to the left. That's yeah, so, well, really like session forty-four or like. Uh-oh. Oh, I missed it then. Sorry. I yeah, thought I it looked that. maybe it was four. I don't know. It looked like there were more than nine sessions. Like oh, Simon, I, I missed it then. Yeah, Simon uh, expressing himself. It, it was like a woman's voice, but not. Yeah, it was. It was like, oh man, it was. Uh, yeah, it didn't sound it sounded genderless almost. It, you couldn't it didn't really sound necessarily like a man. Well, the other voices all sounded like a version of Mary. Simon did mm-hmm. not sound yeah. like a version of Mary. Right. Like that was definitely a different voice actor. Simon's voice sounded to me like what happens if you take any voice but then slow it down enough that it gets really right. deep I, and I, then you I, can't I, identify what the original voice sounds like. That's I, what it love, sounded to me. I love the fact that he kept saying doc. Mm-hmm. Okay, doc. All right, Doc. You know, it was just it, it was it was fucked up. But you could yeah, tell it like creepy. Simon was in charge. Yeah. Yeah. John, do you find this movie scary? A uh, little bit. Yeah. That was a question I have for later, but we can. Oh well, how about no, the rest fun. of you then? How about the rest? I of just you wanted then? to know how you guys. I don't find it as scary as I would like it to be, but mm. I find the atmosphere and the the setting. And the tape's scary. I don't find that the film itself has too many scary moments, though. I thought that uh, uh, David Caruso fucked it up. And he, was like, <laughs> he was just like, wake up, wake up. Come on, wake up. And it was like, Ugh. John, that was like 30 seconds of the whole movie. <laughs> I know, but it's still that was enough. John. <laughs> That's it. This movie so, sucks. I think I think <laughs> I think mullet head bugging out in the downstairs when the lights go out. That was pretty, that was pretty scary. Like that was awesome. I could put myself in his shoes at least of like, he was comfortable going down there and even going down there with the lights on is enough that he was sort of pushing himself because he knew that the lights could go out eventually. And they Mm -hmm. did. And he started Mm -hmm. fucking freaking out. And I I could feel that. Um, I also like when Hank was downstairs and you get the quick, like, Oh shit. Like someone's coming around the corner. And you don't see what happens eventually like, until yeah. later. You mean when like he's down in the tunnel, sort of jump, and the, you see a little the bit of a jump figure. scare. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that moment is so scary because the lighting is so good. They're like, there's just enough light to like reach down at the end of that tunnel and, and see that dark figure. But yeah. you know who it is. I think oh, yeah, the dark figure. in here. That is so creepy to me because it's <laughs> obviously the last thing he said before getting yeah. the thing in his yeah. But like the the way that they use light and shadow in this is so good. Mm. Like, like, can you imagine? Like, can you put yourself in the position of being in the bowels of the bowels of that place in the middle yeah. of the night with just a flashlight? So, and you've got your headphones on. And why? Like, that's a like, critique I have. Why did he have headphones on? Why would you have headphones on in that was, environment? Because he, he was not had easily his scared all the time. Yeah, he he's had them easily scared all the time. Just I guess, tunes. man. I want my senses. Yanni or you're trespassing in a place where people have said there's gang activity, possibly kids that possibly shoot guns and a security guard with a gun. And then I you're I don't know, man, I would at least not have the I let the headphones were his thing. But like at that point, like I would have kept those off. Listen, to, Hank is well, not the sharpest reckless. knife in the drawer. Or he's just like <laughs> Superman. He's macho. Like, well, I think he's reckless and he's like, eh, nothing. It's not, nothing's yeah, gonna he's the type of guy like, who steals other people's girlfriends. Aesthetically, yeah. this movie looked brilliant i mean I it was just like 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 the shots of the outside i was like yeah oh my god because it's beautiful but it also looks mm. foreboding it does it's uh, got the vine you know ivy growing on it yeah the overgrown when you know ivy and stuff like that yep mm-hmm. um just on the topic of scary moments so him seeing the figure at the at the end of the tunnel i think gordon's dream is so fucking scary like when he sees like a figure in a in the white hazmat suit from behind oh, yeah. and then it like in rapid succession the voice is like do it gordon and then it zooms in fast on He's covered in the blood. hazmat suit covered in blood it's that to me was so scary i don't know about you guys yeah that's that's a pretty cool moment i also really liked the moment when um and this isn't like overtly scary it's just subtly scary when he's been looking out the window at that little like gazebo with the crosses on it and you can tell it goes somewhere but you don't know where and they show a shot of him looking out the window at that like three four times and then finally one day he decides to go through that little gazebo archway and like go down the stairs and i was like and i this time i couldn't remember either i was like what's down there i don't remember but it's almost like another descent like into his madness and when he gets down there of course it's the the graveyard and we see the Mary when Hoffman. he's down there, he's very shaken up, right? Like when his yeah. his nephew comes down there, he's fucking mm-hmm. shaking. Like, yeah, and that was one of his phone calls wants, too. Yeah, he's keeping tears back almost too. Like he's about to crack. Yeah, that guy, that actor was great. Yeah, uh, he's been in a lot of things actually. Uh, he was in Westworld. Uh, Peter, Peter Peter Mullen. Was he the dad yes. on West? Yes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I knew oh, that really? guy's voice was familiar. I did yeah. not recognize yeah, his face. He oh, looks wow. a lot different now. He's a uh, he's older, but yeah, you know who yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, he's like the owner, like the the head money guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, so what I was gonna say was, um, like, I, for me, like Gordon's turn as the killer, like. I, I get it. I just feel like, I don't know, for me, I don't know that the film set it up 100% like down the line that like, I believe that he was, I don't know, like we, we talked enough about how if Simon's actually an entity or if Gordon just cracked or because of the, you know, his stress and stuff. But I just feel like the film could have done a little bit of a better job of like leading us towards the 
the twist that they wanted us to get at the end. And I don't feel like the twist necessarily landed 100% with me. Right. It, it was all audio of him. You know, they sort of dump uh, it in our lap at the very end. Yeah. It was like he got hot water dumped on him and then he killed his wife and then killed the baby, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He killed his family and the dog, too. Right. And the dog. And the dog. I mean, yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to infer sure. from that. Uh, yeah. What Hydroberg, can you think of a way that it might have landed better for you? Like maybe well, like now that I'm thinking about like so there's like or? the initial scene of Gordon, he hears the voice of Simon when he looks at the chair. Right. Right. But then also like Nicole, like you said, like like Jack Nicholson, he's almost like seems like he's broken before he even entered the building. Like he's off already, right? So I'm just wondering, like, well, was he just fucking off this whole time? And or was he actually like, you know, taken over by an entity? And you guys seem to have thoughts on like you're swaying me in the sense that maybe maybe there isn't a Simon. You know, Simon was just a voice in the videotapes. Like there's no point in the movie that ever shows that like Simon embedded himself in the asylum or like something crazy happened to me. We don't even know. Mary died. Yeah. Right. Like We don't mm-hmm. know how she died. Yeah. We don't know how long the asylum went on after she died. She di- like it, it basically closed down after she died, I guess, time wise. So mm-hmm. like so. there's nothing to show that like Simon was somehow, you know, in the walls or like in this asylum. There's nobody else that we know of that Simon has taken over besides, you know, Mary. And it's Mary. He's a part of Mary's psyche. We've never had any influence that like, oh, he was around before Mary, you know, and like he took over Mary as well. Like it's an entity that takes people over. So like, I don't know. I just felt like there could have been more threads to tie everything together a little bit. Mm-hmm. It leaves a lot of ambiguity in my and I don't need everything written down 100 percent for me. I don't need 100 percent closure. I like the ambiguity. But for me, I think there could have been a couple of threads that like tied together the plot a little bit better. So like I was along the ride for gordon and it seemed more believable he seemed like he was so tired <laughs> yeah yeah you know maybe it's the way the actor played it too he just yeah he seemed off right off the bat right well like, i think he was I, I yeah i agree with you I absolutely was which which makes it seem like that's be- how he was taken over by simon right because he was wounded and weak yeah yeah i yeah. guess i just view simon as like the like the madness or the evil that can live in any of us and it's like so you see simon as a metaphor yeah like i don't think that gordon's simon is the same as mary's simon i don't think it's like the same thing yeah i don't either but like the way they c- communicate it to us is the same thing is that we hear the same voice right so that's right. how we that's how It'll we know that's how we know what that thread is um but yeah i don't think it's literally Simon and Simon, it's the same, yeah, like an entity or whatever. Yeah, it's, right. it's, I read it. It's kind of difficult for me to put this into like coherent words. <laughs> no, I, I, I know what you mean, Nicole. I think you're expressing it clearly. But I think just like in The Shining, it's like you have a person who's already damaged because of like very human factors. Like Jack Torrance is an alcoholic, and he feels pressure to provide for his family, and he had this incident right where he accidentally he accidentally hurt his child, and he, I think he got fired from his teaching. Job. I don't remember what happened, yeah. but um, plus he has a so temper. He, he has this yeah. like rage he's been trying to control. Yeah. And so it, like, it's like he has these very real life 
problems that are already affecting him that make him weak and wounded, if you will. Same thing with Gordon. And so I think it just makes you more susceptible to like these dysfunctional, like, you know, psychotic behaviors, you know. But in The Shining, we know for a fact that the hotel has like a sway over people. That's true. That's I mean, that's clearly super with the asylum. We don't really get that. We don't know for sure. Honestly, until I was speaking with you guys, I thought Simon was a real thing. But now you've kind of made me think that like, oh, well, maybe it was just like coincidental that there was a Simon that influenced, you know, Mary because it was part of her psyche. And then like, you know, uh, Gordon just being overworked and overstressed and, you know, all these other things have just led to him having similar, you know. Well, you know what I I do like about the fact that it's not clearly tied together is that they sort of, you know, they plant little red herrings throughout the whole movie. Like at some points you think Mike is the one. So because he's listening to these tapes, he's being influenced by this weirdness and like, Oh, so it's Mike. And then you're like, no, it's Phil because Phil is clearly jealous of Hank and he's trying to like make moves behind the scenes. So what if it's Phil? Mm -hmm. Like there are times when you can see it being, any one of them, not so much uh, Hank and Jeff, but like definitely Mike and um, Hank. Phil. I mean, yeah, Mike and uh, Phil. Phil, thank you. Those two definitely seem capable. And it seems like for regular horror movie motivation reasons. So then when we get to the end and it's much more complex and nuanced than that, to me, it, it, it did like, came out of left field for me, but sort of in like the best way. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, this movie is trying to say something else. It's a great horror movie and a great ride, but it's trying to say something a little more complicated. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm not saying that Heidelberg is wrong in his interpretation. Um, I just um, I think that it's I think the movie is deliberately ambiguous to kind of let you interpret your own way. Like, I'm not saying that I'm right in my interpretation. I think it's I think that's kind of a fun thing about it is uh, it's almost like a choose your own adventure. I think, I think that's, I think your reading Hyderberg is like a legitimate reading of it. Yeah. I, I was going to actually say that. Way. Like, I think you can definitely make an argument for Simon being, you know, the same entity. I think you yeah. can totally interpret it that way. I think it's just my inclination to see things as more like reality based and less supernatural because I, Yeah. It's just like the voice of somebody's inner madness rather than like a demonic spirit or something like I that would be less scary to me. And so I'm I'm more afraid of like I'm, I'm more afraid of like what human what can happen in the human mind. So mm-hmm. I think that, that was I'm with that, inc- too. I just feel like why then why introduce the Simon character at all? Because it's a really elegant way to explain what's happening in Gordon's brain. OK, yeah. Well, I, I like that there's like a like the movie draws the parallels for us like there's like the linear progression of the like session one two three four five six seven eight nine and then the linear progression of time in the real life story you know mm-hmm. monday tuesday wednesday thursday and yeah. so i think that's like it's drawing that parallel for us so mm-hmm. that we can see it more clearly i have a question for you guys what do you think about the role of phil in Gordon's mind because I think that uh, the reason I ask this is that I think especially as you get towards the end of the film and Gordon sees Hank lying in the plastic wrap and David Caruso standing there and he's like you did this he's like 
you don't want them to find out about this because if they find out about this, they're going to find out about the others. And you think for a while that, oh, it really was Phil. But then he like vanishes and yeah, you, you realize that it's, yeah. it's Gordon. Um, why do you guys think that Phil is like, like occupies this role as like the culprit or the guilty one in Gordon's mind? I have a technical reason, maybe mm-hmm. not a story reason, <laughs> because okay. um, to me, it's a little that's a little jarring um, that that choice was made. Um, because we don't see that any other time. And then we find out well, he's dead with everybody else. So yeah. Why, why did he see Phil as like this voice that ultimately told him to wake up? And mm-hmm. that's when he realizes what he did. Um, so I feel like just from a pure technical standpoint, they were like, okay, somebody has to show Gordon what he's done. Like we, how are we going to figure out, you know what I mean? Because Gordon's just not seeing it. Like, he's not seeing any of this. Like, he doesn't, you know what I mean? He's very clearly, like, blocking out that he's killed anyone. And so I feel like they needed this, like, come to Jesus moment. And they were like, well, let's just have him hallucinate, like, one of his friends. So from a, I think just purely from, like, a logistics standpoint, that's why they did it. Um, I'm not sure that I, it's 100% successful for me, though. John, what do you think? You're you're a big fan of all things Caruso. What do you think about that part? (laughs) Russo sucks. <laughs> Tell us how you, you really know feel. He does. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought the way they presented. Um, what's his name? Uh, Phil? Phil or Gordon. Gordon. Um, he looked like he was the bad guy from the beginning. Yeah. Uh just because they they kept flashing back to his house uh-huh. of like looking at his wife and his child. And it was like, oh man, he looked yeah, he he he, he was the antagonist from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I don't know if because David Caruso is sort of like the leading man that he was sort of billed as like the main. We, we sort of led to see things through David's eyes for a while uh, with Phil's eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like he's supposed to be like our our guy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And then maybe so he's so close with Gordon. So that's why Gordon sort of replaces him as his own like conscience in the end. And we, we they have that that scene where like they confront each other in that room and then they don't show you what happened. So like the film tried to do a, a quick like switcheroo on us where we're like, oh, no, he didn't kill David or no, he didn't kill Phil and Phil didn't kill Gordon. You know, uh, you know, Phil's going to try and cover it up. Yeah, that Gordon does make sense because you are right about Phil has been sort of calling him on all his stuff. Yeah. And like having the hard conversations with him. And like you said, he seems like a dick, but at the same time, he's he's making the hard decisions or making the hard calls because he does care. They have history. You can tell Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. But, you know, he's also like he's looking out for a he wants that fucking bonus. Like, who doesn't want that bonus? You're dealing with asbestos here. Like, obviously, you want to get it done and you're risking your health. Mm -hmm. So that ten thousand dollar bonus is a big thing. And he wants he doesn't want fucking Phil to lose his business. You know, yeah, Jacqueline, what do you think about it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I kind of view it as just like a almost like a red herring. Mm. Um, 
that's like and I I I I don't know I still just don't feel like I have a great grip on it but maybe because they were the closest of friends it seems like um Phil has just kind of been his right hand man for a long time but um I don't know I don't feel like I have a great grasp on it I do feel like Nicole you're right about the technical reason for having it set up that way but um I don't know I do have to disagree with you guys oh go ahead it's like an hour and 40 minutes um yeah and I don't I don't necessarily think it has to be much longer but I do I wonder if like we could have spent a little time developing those relationships a little bit more between I don't know I'm not I don't I don't have a proper answer of like exactly how to but like we you know we do understand that like Phil and Gordon have some past but if we could have filled it maybe a couple conversations during lunch or something like that when they were taking their breaks or just a little bit more to develop that or maybe a, a glimpse back at the christening or something like that yeah but did Bill have a relationship with um, uh, Gordon's wife no him no, and Hank Gordon's had a wife. love triangle that wasn't okay I mean they all knew each yeah, other that was, like, that they was were all yeah. at the christening and stuff so like yeah. Yeah. he knew Gordon's wife that's what you're asking like they had but a relationship where like, they knew each other, but yeah, that, that wasn't the affair <laughs> situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you get the sense that they all go way back and it's like a small kind of community of guys who do this work and they all kind of know each other is the sense mm-hmm. I get. But I do want to say something about Caruso. I, I kind of disagree with you guys about his acting performance in this role. Um, I, I actually like the way he plays the part. I think his vocal delivery is so matter of fact that he often comes across as the voice of reason, you know, which, and, I, and by the end, I think Gordon is kind of like attributing to him, you know, in this weird role that he plays inside his, his mind. Um, and it feels at times like that matter of factness is kind of a tie to reality for me amidst this very creepy and often kind of unreal seeming yeah. place and situation. And so it seems like a, an anchor to reality, but at the same time, he could also be mad like if if it's your first time seeing it, which is scary. That's like somebody who seems so reasonable could be out of like out of their mind. Right. So I like the way he plays it. That's just my opinion. I wonder if they had led you towards believing that Phil was the killer a little bit more too, if that would have helped the story out a little bit more, like as a red herring, because he totally could have been the killer. Like they didn't really give you enough to think that he was until that, you know, the Hank situation. But the fact that, like you said, uh, Nicole, that like he's, you know, he, he wants to make some extra cash. He's like very opportunistic. Like if they had played on that a little bit more that made you think like, well, he's got the means, he's got the, you know, the opportunity to want to try to kill people or like take people out or be influenced by something like Simon, you know, he's got the anger. They could have worked that into the story a little bit. And that could have been a cool, like a little twist to me too. To, so you didn't think it was good. Cause I feel like you just think it's Gordon right off the bat. Oh gosh. I didn't think it was Gordon at all. But something's off uh, not at all. right away. So once you think, <laughs> I don't know, like, I never thought it was like, anybody else. I feel else. like they didn't really try to deceive you. So you did. So you don't feel like you completely have the rug pulled out from under you. I yeah. think they may, they make you suspect people just enough that you're just not sure. You're just not sure. And I think the thing that sort of throws you off the track with Gordon and it's hard for me to remember the first time I watched this. So it's me difficult too. for me to have like spe- specific to like what I thought, but the scene where he's talking to Phil and he admits that he hit his wife. 
-hmm. You think at that moment you're getting the big confession. There was this event. They keep flashing back to it. And you think, oh, this is the event. Your brain doesn't then go to, oh, and then he killed her. Or at least mine doesn't. Like, so I feel like all those little things are good at throwing you off the track without making you feel cheated. I completely agree with you. I don't think it does anything unfair because once you know the truth, when you go back and watch it, you see all the clues. So I don't think Mm -hmm. there's anything unfair or like cheating happening at all. I do remember the first time I saw this and I was very like, oh, it could be him. It could be him. It could be him. It could be Mike. And I think my prevailing suspicion throughout that first time was that Gordon was the red herring. Oh. I, I think I think I was leaning more towards Phil as the, the killer, but that I think, oh, they're they really want me to think Gordon is like fucked I up. I feel like Phil or Gordon, the only two real options. I know that Mike, Mike to an to extent, tape, but he's never so he listens to the tapes, but his his attitude, his like behavior never changes. Besides the fact that yeah, he gets yeah, a but little, you know right, there's a scene he, he does get a little more back in at shows. night. Yeah, he does. Sneaks back in at night. Yeah. And he shows that little morbid scene where he tells Phil, I mean, uh, the kid, how a lobotomy is done. So, yeah, I that's a little that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. Well, and also there's that little <laughs> mention in the conversation about, oh, like what could get people committed back in those days? There's yeah, he knows so much about it. Dis- disappointed expectations. And there's this running dialogue about how he was supposed to be a lawyer and it didn't yeah. work out. And mm-hmm. he's like discontent. And I don't know. I think that's and- like a little supporting evidence to kind of make you think maybe there's a little there's a moment where phil sort of dismisses him too about being a lawyer he's like no you fucking shovel shit like we do like as if like bro you're not going to be a lawyer you're going to do this shit with us the whole time like stop stop reaching for your dreams you know what i just thought of like when they're reading through that book and like listing all those things that people got committed for i would have to go back and listen again but like are they pinpointing something that each one of them have. I wonder that'd be smart because you said oh. disappointed expectations is Mike and there's the, they make the joke about what's mortified pride well that's Phil basically being cuckolded and then uh, I don't yes. know the others they mentioned but I wonder if they're applicable to the other guys in the group I think Nicole, that's the dirtiest word right you've ever that? said that on the show fucking genius <laughs> that that's <laughs> like it's like a genius observation <laughs> all right yeah let's go back, and, my, go back and that yeah. would sway my review we'll give an update next week also, the word cuckold is probably the dirtiest word you've maybe said on this show. <laughs> it's a fun word. It is. It is. It is. That's a well, good this word. This is a cuck above. So this is the perfect place to say. Yeah. According to Stephen what? Leo, it's a cuck above. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, we've done a lot of uh, discussion and analysis here. Are you guys ready to give your ratings? Mm-hmm. I am. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, since I picked, I'll go first. Um, I think all the positives I've kind of, I've kind of already hit during the course of our discussion. The main one being that for me, it hits all my fear buttons. Um, it, the atmosphere is so creepy. If I imagine myself in this place, especially in the, in these dark tunnels or, you know, snooping around at night or like all this kind of decrepit and the paint peeling and this and that it's so unsettling. And to me, just my personal constitution that's so much more upsetting than like a ghost or somebody running around with a knife um just that that kind of like um that feeling of like insanity and losing your mind and you don't know who your friends are and 
paranoia and things aren't what they seem to be. That's very upsetting to me. So it's one of the few movies that to this day still frightens me. That's a very short list, but because it can get that emotional reaction from me, that's like major, major points right there. I like all of the actors in this. I like the way they play their characters. I like the relationships between the characters. Um, Heidelberg, you were mentioning before, like how the characters relate to each other and we feel like we can relate to them. They seem like real people to me. I feel invested in them. So I think that really works. I think the writing is super strong. I think it's carefully plotted for the reasons Nicole pointed out already that like, there's nothing cheating here. Everything really is laid out and you're not, you may not be sure what's going on the first time, but if you go back and look, it's, it's all there. Um, so I think it's just a really clever movie that really succeeds in creating a fear response for me. Um, there are some things that I don't totally love about it. Um, a mi- mostly minor points. One, when we hear in Gordon's mind the memory of his wife's voice, when she's like, oh, hello, Gordon, roses. It sounds kind of stagey and fake to me. It does. Both, like the acting, the voice acting that that actress does, and also the kind of like distortion that they put on the sound to make it clear that it's a memory. It sounds cheap to me um, and it, like not befitting of the level of sophistication of the movie. I know it's a low budget movie, but it's it comes off as like polished to me. And that like that technical decision to put that distortion or whatever doesn't work for me. Um, it makes me feel like it's like a film student film school project or something. Um, the sight of the wheelchair that Gordon sees, it seems to be like a trigger or a focal point for him. He keeps like staring at it and that's like it's during those moments that you sometimes hear voice the, the Simon voice in his head that seems like an arbitrary object for me. Like it looks creepy, but I don't feel like it has any real significance. I think it would have been much more effective and meaningful if it had been like an old antique baby crib or something, because that would link to what he's done. It's outside the the room to Mary's room. That's the only, the only link really. Yeah, but it's it doesn't link to like his own story and what's yeah. wrong in his life. Or that and Mary so, even sat in it. Like we don't know anything about it. Yeah. So like it just doesn't form much of a connection for me. Yeah. I wish it had been like a baby crib or like an antique Bassinet pot or something, yeah. you know, like reminding him of the boiling water. I don't know, something that linked to his actual life. Um, that I think would have been more effective. Um just a random observation for, for a team of people who are trying to do a three week job in one week. None of them seems to be in too much of a hurry. Mike's sitting around for hours on end, like listening to these tapes. Uh, Gordon's like standing around staring out a window and trying to like call his wife. Uh, Jeff is afraid of the dark and is just kind of waiting for Mike to go turn on the generator. Uh, Phil's like in the garden talking to some guys. They're taking these long lunch breaks and, um, Hank's just smoking cigarettes. Hank, Hank's smoking off. and like looking at some money. I just like, I'm like, hurry up, guys! Time is money. You want that bonus <laughs> or not? I thought the How'd... same thing. I was like, <laughs> Jeff Everybody... said he was going to bust his ass. It's not happening. Everybody's just <laughs> fucking around. How does Hank think that's enough money to necessarily like run away with? How does he know how valuable those coins are? I mean, I guess he's just assuming. Like, if you find coins yeah, from 1883, like I would assume that even one is yeah. worth a pretty penny. So. I don't know. I and there's jewelry in there too. 
antique antique jewelry so anyway um i i wish that the I, I wish that there, I kind of feel like the opposite of Hyderberg. You said that you kind of wanted like a little bit less ambiguity and like more clear kind of like lines drawn just a little bit. I actually wish there weren't such a strong connective thread drawn for us between um, Gordon and Mary Hobbs, because I think it it seems like it's trying to create this idea that Simon is like a literal thing. And for most of the movie, I just don't see it that way. And I don't want to see it that way. Like I want to, I want to kind of like lean into my own interpretation of it. So um, I feel like it kind of like doesn't fit with the rest, um, which comes across to me as like a psychological thing. So I wish it weren't even like suggested that there was something literally you know, connecting them kind of like the Jack Torrance thing in the shining where it's like, you've always been the caretaker. Like, well, okay. Is he Grady? Is he re- Grady reincarnated? Like that's a weird link. And so I feel like they're kind of trying to do the same thing here. And I don't, I don't love that, but it's not a big gripe. It's, it's a nitpick. So all in all, all things considered, I love this movie. It really works for me. I can never get enough. It still scares me after watching it a bunch of times. And so I'm going to give it 9.5 out of 10 lobotomy picks. Whoa. Yep, it's a 9.5 for me. Nicole, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, I could I could really be succinct and just say ditto, <laughs> Jacqueline, but I will not. <laughs> I will speak my piece. Um, so I do want to just share, like, I remember seeing this box art, like in the video store like video stores were still a thing when this movie first came out. And I remember it very clearly. I remember thinking like, oh, this is just another stupid haunted asylum movie. Like, I feel like it's going to be garbage. And I don't think I had heard anything really about it, but I do remember very distinctly, like seeing that art for years before I ever saw it. And I believe it was my husband, David, who is not really a horror fan, who is the one who was like, oh, I've heard about this movie when you should watch it, which is a very rare occasion. Um, And so we watched it together and both really loved it. So this is a movie that David and I will like revisit together and really enjoy together. And so when we finally did see it, I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is nothing like I thought it was going to be. It's so much better. Um, And so I just have like really good kind of like you have really good memories attached to like my first viewing of it and my experience with it. And um I think what I really found valuable on this watch is every time I've watched it, I mean, I've noticed new things. So even though you now know the mystery and you now know the conclusion, I feel like you pick up things more and more as you watch this movie. And I think that is the mark of a great, well, any great movie, but definitely a great horror movie that that has a whodunit element to it. Um, It's just, it hits all my buttons as well. It's subtle it's got the atmosphere. It's like beautiful. And I mean, like, it's beautifully decrepit. Like, I'm like, you don't get this like decades of paint peeling. Like you couldn't create that, you know, this is just this beautiful, like abandoned relic. And so I like old things. I like old buildings. That's why I said that her stove in her kitchen, I'm like that. I would love to, you know how much <laughs> that stove would cost in working order. <laughs> I want that stove. So, um, I just appreciate like all that stuff. 
And um, the walkthrough in the beginning with the little like town manager guy when he's telling sort of the history of the hospital and all that, like I love all that stuff. Um, uh, I, I do think it's scary. I don't know that it so much scares me anymore, um, but I definitely found it scary when I first watched it. Um, and there are still moments that are, I think sometimes I just, I forget all the little moments in this movie, even though I've seen it multiple times. So every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I forgot that little kind of unsettling thing. Um, we talked about the music. The music for me is like a big plus, like there's just something about the sparseness of it. That's really great. And you can tell that, I mean, it is like, it's just it's as low budget as can be. I mean, you know, somebody just like cranked this out with no frills, but it really adds to, and that's kind of how the whole movie is. You can tell it's low budget and there are definitely some rough edges, but those rough edges, I think just serve the story and serve the film in kind of the best way. I think if they had had more money, it would have probably actually been a disservice to this movie. Um, but I will say the, the wife, voiceover I thought the exact same thing it sounds like it was recorded in a trash can and I'm wondering about two things because and this will hit on what you had to say Jacqueline about um, them making that parallel between Gordon and Mary with Simon I am wondering if because I know they did test screenings and changed some things. There, there was this whole subplot about a homeless woman living in the hospital and they had to cut that out because people were confused. So I think that that wife voiceover was added in after the fact, because I think people didn't understand what happened. That makes the most sense to me because it feels tacked on in, in it makes sense that people needed a clear audio representation of what happened in that house. Like they didn't understand um, and then I'm wondering also if they did the same thing with some of that Simon stuff, like was the Simon stuff just in the Mary recordings and just at the end. And then people didn't understand that like Gordon had the same issue. So, well, let's put some of that in there to like tie that together. I have no idea. That's just a theory. Um, mm. But because I definitely think the wife was added in, I think it's possible that some of that Simon stuff was added in too. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. So that is a criticism of mine is that, um, that weird wife voiceover. It doesn't, it doesn't quite match up to everything else. And then kind of like I already mentioned the, um, the, the fill is kind of like the angel on the shoulder um, at the end also just isn't quite consistent. The rest of the movie has been very just like subtle and figure it out for yourself. So the fact that Phil shows up and is like, just telling him what happened um, that is just a little bit jarring for me. Um, so this has been the most brambly review ever. But long story short, um, almost every single thing about this movie I love. I would not, I mean, I don't know that I would change anything about this movie, um, which is a big deal. And so for me, it is nine out of 10 lobotomy picks. Awesome. Nine out of 10 from Nicole. John, would John. you like to go? What? Would you like to go next, John? Sure. Uh, everything you guys said was perfect. Um, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10 lobotomy picks. All right. Hydraberg, what say you? All right. Um, <clears throat> so I, I love the setting of this. I'm a sucker for spooky locations like this, uh, abandoned asylum. 
if done properly, which I feel this film does uh, really well. Uh, I don't know. It just sets a really good tone for a film like this. Um, the tapes with Mary's therapy sessions are really well done. And I feel like they really ramp up the creepy factor for me. Um, I could have even like gotten a little bit more of them. Uh, I just, I really dig the different actors voices and um, the way she switched it on and off from the different characters. I thought it was really like the princess character and then Mary and Mary seemed to have no idea what was going on when she was back in the seat, you know, in the driver's seat. And then we find out that like Simon's sort of in control mostly the whole time. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it was an interesting story, but one that just didn't feel fully fleshed out for me. I feel like it, and that might've had been part of the budget constraints too. You could tell this is a, is a, it's a budget, a budgeted movie. Um, This did have a theatrical release, I believe. Right. But it was like 30 screens. Yeah. Um, And like everyone losing their shit at the end, I thought it was a nice touch the way it sort of ramps up and like, at, at some moment, everybody's going through some crazy shit. Like the kid is in lost in the dark and Mike's dealing with his own thing. Um, and then Gordon's doing his, you know, figuring that he's running upstairs. People are splitting up. They're like, oh, I'm going to go down this way. I heard the noise this way. And no, I heard the noise this way. I just thought it was cool the way they do that. And you get very invested in that part. Um, but for me, like, I don't know, like the characters, I never cared that much about any of the characters enough to feel fully invested in them to the point where I felt mm-hmm. like really, you know, Oh my God, like what's going to happen to, to Mike or what's going to happen to Phil. I just never, I like, as far as a con goes, I just never felt like any of the characters were that fully fleshed out or likable. Yes. Their past was like their relationship with one another. You could tell they had a past, but I just never felt enough time with these characters where I just felt like, okay, fucking so-and-so like scratchers and he fucked so-and-so's, you know, ex-girlfriend and, and, uh, you know, Phil, you know, Phil's in it for the money, but like, I just never felt like fully invested in these people enough that like I cared when they were in danger. Um, I thought the cinematography at times was beautifully shot and there were times where I just didn't like it. It had like a sheen to it, like very, there was no filter. You know what I mean? Like I, I almost feel like they're in this dingy area, this, this asylum with grime and dust and asbestos in the air. And a lot of the shots were super clean and with like a, a cheap filter, like a cheap camera almost. Like you could see how cheap it was made. And it, and it was like shot very fast. Like the, the aspect ratio and the, um, I don't know if you would say like just the, um, the speed at which it was shot was sort of just very crisp at times where I felt like it could have it had some dinge, some dirt on it to the, to the film or like, an older quality to it that it would have set the tone better for me. It sort I have of trivia me about that. I have trivia. Okay, about it that. sort of I took me out of it a too. little bit, like the camera work. Um, like scenes were shot well, but they had a, a sheen to them that just sort of took me out of it. Um, uh, uh, I also thought like the music was well done, but like the music at the very end, where Gordon is bugging out and that new guy Craig shows up, there's like a little bit of like a tourist trap sort of fucking like ding dong dong ding dong dong like that play that was like yep. super stupid i don't know what that was yeah it was totally out of place i don't know what that was supposed to signify it was yep. weird i know what you're i felt i thought yeah, it was very weird thing. i was like everything else like, is so subtle and this yeah, is yeah and why was what was that all yeah. about it's like it a just, music box sound while he's it like definitely took me out of poking it. himself in the face yeah it was weird <laughs> yeah. um 
And like, although this film does have unsettling atmosphere that I really connected with, I never found any true scares like in any of the nothing ever ramped besides the kid being stuck in the dark, which I could you know get behind because I've been in buildings like this before at, at nighttime when there is no light and you're using a flashlight like it's scary. But, you know, mostly your mind makes up the scares, you know, you fill in the blanks of what you think is there. And this film just didn't like there's that scene downstairs with Hank where you see that silhouette of somebody that was fucking scary, you know, but then they downplay it with the birds and like Hank sort of thinks like, oh, it was like he sort of forgets the fact, the fact that he saw a fucking person, you know, like later on, he's like, oh, it's just birds coming through the, the window. It's like, no, bro, you saw a fucking person before, like and you're acting now like you didn't. I don't know. There were certain things that just didn't connect for me. And David Cruz was fucking acting, John. I'm surprised like the fact that you just agreed with the girls and gave this an 8.5 and didn't knock it for fucking David Cruz was acting, bro. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. He's I'll be sucks. the guy that will stand up for fucking dude. His acting's horrible. It's yeah, bad. He, he doesn't sucks. emote. He has one fucking type of delivery. That's it. The one type of delivery is like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> it's fucking dude. Like, like your character's fleshed out a little bit, but your acting doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. And I just feel like overall, like this is a gem, I feel like from the 2000s, which doesn't have a lot of good horror films, but I feel like it's an unpolished gem. So it is a gem for me. And I feel like the first time I saw it, if I was to review it, then I would have gave it a higher rating, like maybe an eight something. But for right now, when I have to be critical and I have to compare it to other films that have done things like this, it definitely like it's a ding. For me, and I just feel like its potential is not as high as I would have liked it to be now that I've watched it for the like the fourth time also. And so for me, I'm going to give for that reason alone, I'm going to give session uh, nine. I'm giving a six point five out of ten lobotomy picks. Okay, ask a question that might send us down a a little bit of a rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) do it. Um, Do it. How important how (laughs) how important is it for you at this stage? for a horror movie to be scary well because i see a lot of people who whine and complain about horror movies that are like oh it wasn't scary so like here's the thing it's not gonna scare like jacqueline me. said it's yeah it's difficult at this point to get scared so it how, is but i know what a good see setup a horror movie, for someone how who's important not into it? horror movies as much as me would get scared mm-hmm. by and for me i don't know like the scares i don't feel unsettled as much I think maybe the first time I saw this film, I did. So I could get behind the first time viewing. But as a critic now, having seen it four times, like I, I, I have to pick well, it up. Well, and I don't mean bit. this movie. I mean all horror movies. How important is it to you that it scares you for it's, you to think it's, so it's like a it's, quality it's, movie? It's not number one importance, but when a film can still do it, it stands out mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Right. And it mm-hmm. has to affect my review of a film. There's only a couple films that make me I don't really get scared, but there's some films that can make me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's more real life stuff that mm-hmm. they touch on. Mm-hmm. There's certain taboos that can still make me feel a little uncomfortable. And it also has to do with acting. And like someone like David Crusoe is not going to do it for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not like a number one rule. Like I, I'm going to ding a film definitely because it didn't scare me because like we said, we're jaded. We've seen so much now. Yeah, like Nicole, that's a great, I love that question. Actually, that's a really, really good question. For me, it's not a requirement. Like I think a horror movie can be 10 out of 10. 
even if I'm not scared. But I think I gave Black Christmas 10 out of 10 and it doesn't scare me. It's creepy. Uh, it's, fucked it's creepy, but I'm not like it's me. Billy. I'm not like, oh, oh. <laughs> God. Um, I think I gave Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer like nine or nine point five out of ten. Um, it doesn't scare me. It's upsetting, disturbing material, but I'm not like frightened by it. Um, so it's not a requirement at all. Like, I, it's just I not. actually ding that film because of how uncomfortable it could make you feel. Because I'm just thinking <laughs> that, about like to me that just means it's effective. Like you ding I guess, it for being yeah. effective. Yeah. I'm yeah. just thinking like rewatchability too, though. And sometimes in my reviews and like, and I'm thinking like, well. If somebody watches this for the first time, like, are they gonna like even like it? It's gonna make it makes you feel like kind of shitty. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, I guess like that that is something that should kind of give the film a higher rating. And at the same time, it sort of gave me like a ding on it as well. I don't know. That's just me though. Well, like Hyderberg said, if it if it can manage to scare me or make me feel like really unsettled for real, that's like bonus. It's like a certain extra magic. But mm. it's not it's not required. What's your answer to it? Um, I same like, I mean, I it's really difficult for me to really remember the last time I was scared by a movie. Mm. Um, but I mean, I love the horror genre regardless of that. And it, it that almost just doesn't even matter anymore. Mm. Um, I think I'm more concerned with the atmosphere. The atmosphere and the story are the two main things yeah. for me. And then after yeah. that comes everything else. I mean, even like acting for me might even be on the bottom of the list, you know, like I know that's really distracting for some people, but if the story and the atmosphere is nailing it, like those are kind of my main requirements. I get, I get so frustrated with, you know, just it's like, I know there, there's so many talented writers out there and it's like, I don't understand how you guys can like crank out these like big studio movies and you don't care that the story's not good you know that that's my main kind of peeve um so yeah it's different strokes for different folks but that's just something i've seen a lot floating around uh with horror fans and so um i i wanted to hear from people who i you know actually know and respect as to where it ranks on their kind of system i would actually say score like like for me score is ultimate um Even if you're not scared by a movie, the the musical interlude or outro or whatever it is, it's like you feel yeah something with the music, right? Mm-hmm. Even if the acting doesn't necessarily pick up that, or the music can can like definitely pick up right film and carry it almost. Right. Yeah. Good score. Yeah. Totally. The new Candyman. The new Candyman. I thought had like a great score. Uh, Oh yeah, that score, especially that opening little opening track when they're going over the city. Like, it's that is so good. Yeah. Yeah, John, I I agree with you. That's a that's a really important aspect. I think if the score is wrong, what what did we watch recently that like the score did not fit? Was it Tourist Trap that like a yeah yeah, like time was like completely not a horror movie score at all we're like what the fuck yeah. is going on here yeah um but yeah it's wh- kind of common in the 70s though like last house on the left is the same thing just they're like that- real bizarre happy music and like bumbling cops and you're like i don't understand what we're doing here <laughs> like maybe they were supposed to they were trying to get you like a drawing sort of like feeling where like you can't kind of grab on anything because you're seeing maybe fucked up so. visuals as well as crazy like ravenous hydroberg yes <laughs> 
ravenous is but definitely unsuccessfully. <laughs> the ravenous has its moments where it has like whimsical music playing during some crazy chase scenes and stuff where it takes you out of it a little bit but it's sort of to me it lends the charm to that film sure. it's yeah. weird it's a double edge with that uh well we're we're going a little long here would you guys like to hear a few trivia facts Please. lay it on us all right uh, so actor David Caruso, y'all's favorite actor, oh, reports in the official production notes that he saw something pass by my window when shooting inside the Danvers State Hospital. He said, I didn't want to tell anybody because people would start looking at me strangely. Actor Peter Mullen also reports strange happenings on the set. He claims that while filming on the roof, a voice in his head told him to jump off to see what would happen. Yikes. Maybe Peter needs to like take a vacation too i'm just saying um just interesting that the the actors on set had a little creepy experience too uh only three rooms you know i mentioned before that they basically left the hospital as is and just shot it as is they didn't really need to add much they did have to add a few things in the kitchen where the meat hooks were those were added the meat hooks the plastic surgical gloves that were hanging in that tunnel you know like rows and rows of the the hazmat suits with the gloves those were added and also the tub in the hydrotherapy room that was added for atmosphere so but other than that everything else was pretty much the same what was that are you adding some awesome score to our conversation (laughs) (laughs) david caruso's csi fucking oh oh, (laughs) oh god uh, behind the tunnel with the rubber gloves, the cast and crew signed the wall, and director Brad Anderson wrote, "We did as bestest we could." Oh, <laughs> what a good dad joke! Uh, I actually love that. <laughs> I love a dad joke. <laughs> the fictional Patricia Willard scandal at Danvers State Hospital that Mike talks about at the film's beginning when they're eating lunch strongly appears to have been inspired by a real-life wave of problematic. Satanism and sex abuse allegations that swept the United States circa the 1980s, including, among others, one involving the Amarold family in nearby Malden, Massachusetts. Reporter Dorothy Rabinowitz won a Pulitzer Prize for her book chronicling that bizarre case, No Crueler Tyrannies, Accusation, False Witness, and Other Terrors of Our Times in 2001. That actually sounds really interesting to me. I kind of want to read that book. I don't. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just thought I'd mention it. Uh, Nicole, you already talked about that um, subplot with the homeless woman. Um, oh, you were also talking, Nicole, about its former kind of location as being like Salem Village and stuff. Mm-hmm. To add to that, the hospital sits on a hill called Hawthorne Hill, and it's named after oh. Judge Hawthorne, who owned mm-hmm. that land, and he was like one of the main judges in the Salem witch trials, and in fact, he was the only one not to later repent for you know sentencing these women to their fates yes and he which is, is why also... nathaniel hawthorne changed exactly. his name <laughs> or changed his spelling changed his spelling i knew you would know that yeah so it's actually wow. it's it's <laughs> hay, it's haythorne without a w and then nathaniel hawthorne the writer added the w so that he could like disassociate himself from judge haythorne holy fuck that's awesome connections 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 um basically all this stuff about squatters and vandals and stuff like that in the hospital it's all true that stuff really did happen it wasn't really considered safe um i'm not a gamer you guys might this might mean something to you some of the injury 
injury, some of the imagery in the hospital, sorry, some of the imagery in Brookhaven Hospital in the Konami video game Silent Hill 3 mm-hmm. was inspired by this movie. I don't know if you guys know I that I have game. played Silent Hill and Silent Hill is really creepy. Is There's it? no yeah. movies based on it, but those are Hideo Kojima games, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and there's a little little inspo. Yeah, there. there's some creepy like asylum stuff that goes on in those games, and it's like an alternate reality where like the uh, like a fog rolls in and like the town just transforms into this like crazy, otherworldly, like sort of like um in the mouth of madness or something like that. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. Sounds scary. Yeah, it is pretty scary. Uh, the building, the building I, is. I shit my now. pants. I get it. <laughs> Playing the game. <laughs> Yes. Uh, the building. I thought you meant just now. now. Oh my god! Just now. John, do you need to excuse yourself? I went poopy in my pants. <laughs> I, I poopied my pants. Oh my gosh! The building is apartments now. Only two of the wings were saved, along with the main building. I want to know how much one of those apartments I, goes for, and whether why I save can any wings? Have one because it was like a histor- historical, a national historic building. I guess. But yeah, if it's salvageable, you don't tear it down. You took most of it down. You took most of it down to like create apartments. So why? So like these apartments are like, hey, let's go play tennis at the tennis court. And then you look over to the left <laughs> and there's like abandoned asylums there. there. Like, this is <laughs> well, no, no, no. They converted the buildings they saved into the apartments. Oh, they saved the yeah. really. Yeah. OK. I thought they demolished it and just yeah. build apartments on top. That's even weirder. No, 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 wow. no, no. They say it says right, they so were... I want a new movie based on those apartments being built. Such and the shit that goes on in those apartments now. <laughs> That's fucked up. like Simon's in room for like apartment four, four, four. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Simon's in apartment hey maybe you know that ripoff film that ripoff film company asylum that does like cheap ripoffs mm-hmm. they should make a session 10 and, and nicole, yeah. nicole watch Simon nine and three quarters watch nicole <laughs> let's write it nicole with our new uh production you guys are gonna have your new production right. company yeah. making let's new movies it. nope a cuck above. Oh, <laughs> that's what it's called. It's written in stone. It's set in stone now. That's what it is. Uh, just a couple more quick facts. The only CGI in the film is the lobotomy tool, which is pulled out of Josh Lucas's eye. Lucas raised his head slightly to signify the tool being extracted from his skull, but the thing itself was actually CGI. It looks totally real to me. I would have never guessed. His uh, eye looked fucked too when they pull it out. It did. Oh, it that scene horrifying. was pretty crazy that he pulled it out in order to stick it into another guy. Yeah. Horrifying. Uh, the last thing I have is a quote from Caruso again. He said, It was a place you never got comfortable in. It wasn't like day three and we were throwing water balloons because there was so much, it was so much fun to be there. It was always scary. You could really feel the pain of the people that went through Danvers. It's a rough environment, it's not fun. It's on the film. They didn't have to dress any sets or anything. All of that stuff was sitting there. The federal government walked away from it about, walked away from it about 30 years ago. It was a terrifying location. So I like having that little bit of insight there. Yeah, yeah. John, his acting definitely portrayed the pain and suffering that fuck really- Caruso. Oh yeah. my gosh. You guys are just yeah! Jacqueline trying to end <laughs> on a good note. You guys are ruining it. Oh my lord. Okay. Right. A couple Caruso that's, haters. That's uh. all I've got. That's all I've got. Uh, whose pick is it next week? It is my pick next week. 
What's it oh, to be? Hydra Bird? covering 2007 Spanish language found footage film Wreck. That's R E C for you folks listening. Uh, and it's not Quarantine, the Americanized version remake. Right. Nicole. Wreck. You can find it on, uh, you can rent it on Amazon as well as Voodoo, Google Play, and Apple TV. And if you have uh, AMC Plus, which who has that, you can get it for free, I believe. But <laughs> Nicole, okay. how do you feel about that movie? Uh, I really like it. I it's yeah, I really like it. And uh, it seems like a straightforward zombie movie. And then you get a little little extra at the end, which I appreciate <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. And that's all little, I will say. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> all right. Hyderberg, I'm glad you picked that movie. I'm looking forward to revisiting it. I have seen it only once and it was a long time ago. So I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing that one again. I actually saw Quarantine first. Oh. Before Rick. And then I went back once oh. I found out that quarantine was based on Wreck. Okay. I didn't I didn't dislike quarantine all that much. I just yeah, once I realized it was based on something else, like I always want to know what the original is. I'm that yeah. guy that like if I hear a song that samples something, I'm like, well, that's a sample. What's the original like? I want to know what the original is. And everybody should be like that. You should always check out what what the OG is. Mm-hmm. I agree. If, I think that's so a great. Have, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great MO to have. So awesome pick for, uh, for next week from Hyderberg. We will be covering wreck R E C that is Spanish language film. It is not the American remake called quarantine. Make sure you watch the right version, but please just read the subtitles. Just read the subtitles. Come on. So that's what we're covering. If you'd like to throw your thoughts on session nine into the ring you can email us at a cut above horror review at gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter at cut above horror if you love david caruso's acting you can catch <laughs> us on instagram at a cut above dot horror underscore review or <laughs> sorry john i'm always throwing people for a loop uh follow us on facebook cut above colon horror review and Nicole, where they can find you? Um, you can find me at Light and Shadow Pod on Instagram and Facebook, and search Light and Shadow, a horror podcast, on all of your favorite podcatchers. Awesome! Seriously, everybody, go listen to that. Nicole, just- thank you again so much. You are such a great guest. We love having you. Um, so insightful. So just smart. So thanks for thanks for jumping in with us this week. Well, thanks for having me on. I feel like I, I really like talked a lot on this episode. So thank you for being so gracious uh, as to as to let me come in and like, you know, vomit my opinions at you guys. <laughs> well, we like your opinions. That's why we want you to come on. So we want you to talk. Thank you for your all vomit's your delicious. Ew. Ugh. <laughs> Whoa. That was I'm gross. trying to give a compliment to a negative. Oh not vomiting. I mean, that sounds like something that would happen inside an asylum. So it's it's on brand. Yeah. Or in audition. Uh but yeah, thanks, Nicole. Mm. It will not be the last time. Um, so thank you again for taking your time to to watch the movie and to be on here with us. So everybody come back next week when we'll be talking about wreck. And don't forget to keep it creepy. Fuck you. Oh, wow.